Before beginning with the Gospel that's actually appointed for today, let me make mention that today is the Feast of Saints Crispin and Crispian. Now, Crispin and Crispian were twin brothers believed to be cobblers and shoemakers who turned to the preaching of the Gospel and were martyred in the year 286. Other than that, little is known about them, and they would likely be more or less completely forgotten if it were not for William Shakespeare, who connects the starting of the Battle of Agincourt, which started on the 25th of October, with the Feast of St. Crispin and Crispian, with that great rallying speech of King Henry V before the battle begins, which culminates with these final words. This story shall the good men teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by, for this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. This day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed that they were not here and hold their manhoods cheap while any speak that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. If you have not seen the play, whether in person or in film, I recommend it. It's one of Shakespeare's best. As we turn to our Gospel for this morning, we've got a portion of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew chapter 22, in which the compilers of the lectionary allow either a longer or a shorter reading. Even when the longer option is read, as we have done, going from verse 34 to 46, is not a particularly long gospel passage. What creates the motivation for allowing verses 41 to 46 to be omitted from the reading is that the first portion, that between 34 and 40, was considered the great commandment and the second great commandment, are so central to Christian life that they can and do provide the basis for an unending number of sermons all by themselves. With that said up front, we will focus our attention, the priority of our attention, on the first portion of the reading, But we'll also visit that second portion as well because there is a a connection between them that is helpful to be made. In the Gospel appointed for today, the Pharisees are once again trying to lure Jesus into a word trap so they can bring him up on charges. Take note, the question to Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law, and little technical detail in the language, the way it's phrased is actually meaning which is the greatest or which is the most important commandment. The question is being posed by a lawyer. The Pharisees had a lawyer as a scholar of the law ask the question. The lawyer is going to be able to then practice his craft and bring Jesus on charges that by prioritizing one law over another, that Jesus has somehow violated a different law through an apparent exclusion. As I said, it's all a word trap. It's a verbal tail chase to try to get Jesus to say something that they can then twist around and use to discredit him. Which is the greatest commandment of the law? 
You might answer not to murder. And then they're going to reply, you mean we don't have to worship God and have no other gods before Him? Answer worship God and they can reply, you mean it's okay to commit murder as long as we go to the temple and say our prayers? The trap, they think, has no way out. As soon as the lawyer gets Jesus to prioritize one, they will charge him with dismissing another because they are all important. So as has happened for the last few Sundays now in the lectionary readings leading up to to today, our passage has the Pharisees setting their apparently escape-proof trap and then waiting smugly for Jesus to walk into it. But as we have seen for the past few Sundays, Jesus will walk right over that trap and not get snared by it. Rather than cite one of the Ten Commandments, Jesus quotes from Moses' book of Deuteronomy, where where Moses said this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Moses, known as the great lawgiver, says, This is the commandment the Lord has commanded me to teach you. The commandment. And then says the statutes and the rules. Meaning that in the one commandment, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That Moses, the great lawgiver, is saying all the statutes, all the rules, all the other commands are summed up in that one command, making it the commandment. If you love God, you will worship Him. If you love God, you will not worship other, other gods. If you love God, you don't take His name in vain. If you love God, you can go right down the list and you will have every commandment covered. This one command sums up every other command we have before God. Jesus has put the ball back in the lawyer's court. In the laying of the trap, the Pharisees and the lawyers had used their attempt to trap Jesus, assuming that Jesus would feel himself restricted to citing one of the Ten Commandments. After all, the Ten Commandments are known as the law. But Jesus knew better. Jesus knew how the Pharisees had laid their verbal battlefield. And therefore, Jesus gave what could be considered an asymmetrical reply. Now the Pharisees are flanked. How will they trap Jesus for dismissing the law when he has quoted Moses' own words saying that this one commandment is the great commandment? They are now the ones that cannot move without failing. If they disagree with Jesus, they are rejecting Moses and they cannot do that. If they agree with Jesus, they are demonstrating that he truly is a wise teacher and they're going to end up helping to grow his following instead of getting their intent, which is to discredit him and eliminate his following. They definitely don't want to do that. While they're wringing their hands, not knowing which move to make, Jesus adds to his answer. The second commandment is like the first. In other words, 
Oh, I heard you ask for one commandment, and I gave you that, but here's another, and it's equally important. And Jesus quotes Moses again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Moses when he wrote in Leviticus. Interesting thing about that spot in Leviticus where Moses writes, love your neighbor as yourself, it's actually at the list, at the end of the list, of how you are supposed to act towards your neighbor. That list includes not stealing from your neighbor, not lying about your neighbor, not injuring or harming your neighbor. In other words, it's all of those elements of the Ten Commandments that dictate how we're supposed to treat other people. And at the end of these detailed instructions, Moses sums up the list by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal his stuff. If you love your neighbor, you are not going to chase after his wife. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie about him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you can go, again, straight down that list of commands and find that you are following all of them. This one command sums up all the other commands on how we have dictating how we're supposed to act towards other people. The first great command sums up our duty to God. Our second great command sums up our duty to humanity. And for this reason, the combination, you shall love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is frequently referred to as the summary. We're going to come back to the summary in just a moment. But for now, a quick look at the rest of the reading for today. Keep in mind that the Pharisees have been trying to get Jesus snared in a word trap over and over again. They are constantly using questions where if Jesus affirms one thing, they will claim that Jesus is denying another thing. When it comes, what comes next in our reading is Jesus turning the tactic back on them. Jesus sees the Pharisees, they're huddled together, they're trying to figure out how to respond to Jesus' answer, knowing that they cannot get out of the situation that they are in when Jesus poses his question to them. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, that's easy for them. They reply quickly, he's the son of David. Jesus replies to the Pharisees by quoting David's 110th Psalm. How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls the Messiah the Lord, calls the Christ the Lord, how is he, the, how is he David's son? And no one was able to answer him with a word. Now the answer to the question is that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus has that human lineage of David, and at the same time, Jesus is God. Now, how David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to understand that, or even if he didn't understand it, to write it down for the rest of us, that a descendant of his would be the Christ, and that very same descendant at the same time would also be, in some way or another, God, How David got that all down on paper, we don't know. And for the moment, it's not very important. It probably is an important issue, but not for this morning. The important thing for the passage, for our sake, 
this morning is that Jesus gave back to the Pharisees much more than they could give. The Pharisees and their lawyers were playing word games while Jesus was revealing the amazing depth of God beyond the Pharisees' capability of understanding. And as our passage for today closes, it says, From that day, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. In other words, after getting tired of having their backsides handed to them over and over again, the Pharisees quit playing word games trying to chat trying to trap Jesus. Now today, people play word games every day. They can for any sort of reason. It can be work-related, personal concerns. People twist words either to benefit themselves or to somehow impact somebody else. We're in the middle of an election season. Word games have been brought to the height of rhetorical science trying to get you to cast your vote for the candidate of the speaker's choice. And if the speaker can't get you to vote for his candidate or her candidate, well then at least let me convince you not to vote for the other candidate. And then, like in the days of the Pharisees, there are too many people playing word games at church. If I phrase what I'm doing in just the right way, my chasing after my personal agenda, my chasing after my own ambition, well, it's all going to sound pious and holy. But does that agenda, does that personal ambition comply with the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Does that agenda, that personal ambition, comply with the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. The simple command to love God and love neighbor, the summary is the very core of Christian living. We, each and every one of us, are called to live the summary. So let us live it. Amen.